Blog Talk Radio. Hey.
Hello, folks. Yes, once upon a long time ago. You know, there's a couple of uh, uh, lyrics there in that song that uh, I think of Eastern Airlines as a house to grow old. A house to grow old, if you uh, recall the singer singing that. And and um, and because of that, there are a lot of folks that go there in their mind back to a long time ago with Eastern Airlines. Uh, today, we've got uh, some uh, hosts that uh, have been with us before. Uh, George Jen and Jim Holder are with us. Hey, George and Jim, you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. I'm here, Neil. Okay, well, I want to tell you, last week we had the following uh, that listened to us by going to the website and tuning us in there. They they didn't listen to us live, but they did listen to the archive version. And I want to say thanks a lot to Australia, Malaysia, Thailand, Russia, India, Yemen, Kenya, Republic of Serbia, Slovakia, Switzerland, Germany, Denmark, the United Kingdom, Finland, the Ukraine, France, Spain, Portugal, Ireland, Senegal, Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Canada, Dominican Republic, and Mexico. So if you're one of or two of those listeners in those countries, we thank you for tuning us in uh, via the computer and listening to our so- stories and songs. And we've got a little bit more of that today uh, for you. So uh, at any rate, I've got a couple of things on my mind to talk about. And if you guys want to vary it uh, to whatever uh, you feel like you want to you want to talk about, whether it's your Eastern or Air Force days or how you got started in flying or whatever the heck you want to talk about, we'll do that between some great songs that uh, your producer has chosen for this uh, this show. And one of the first things I want to ask each of you guys is what did you do after Eastern went out of business? What's the first thing or the first job, I should say? Or did you have a job? Or did you want a job? Or did you just retire and start making drinks made out of uh, Maker's Mart? (laughs) Just what the heck did you do? Hey, George, uh, your turn. What did you do after Eastern folded? Or I think you left a little bit early, didn't you? Yes, I did, Neil. I left in 88, which was three years before it formally went out of business, a little less, probably two and a half years. And I went to work for another major airline as a pilot. Um, You know, it it, it was kind of the handwriting was on the wall with what Lorenzo was doing to the airline in selling off all the profitable parts and leaving just the junk left over as the excuse to – you know, come after the employees. And I figured it was only a matter of time until he once again filed for bankruptcy. And, you know, this time who knew where it would go, uh, but without it, many of its primary assets like the shuttle, South America, the uh, computerized reservation system, just to name three, I didn't see much future for Eastern. So I was fortunate enough in that I was still young enough to go somewhere else. But of course, it wasn't easy starting over at the bottom of the list, pulling the gear for guys who were 10 or 15 years younger than me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me ask you this. Uh, when you went over to the other carrier, I won't use the name of, unless you want to use it yourself. But at any rate, was it, uh, 
did they ask you why you left Eastern uh, and Eastern was still in business? Uh, no, no one asked me that. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting because it would have it would have been, as you know, I mean, I was a uh, an Alpa elected representative for six years and was on the uh, pilot system board of adjustment for probably eight years. And uh, but no, no one ever asked me, but uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because the carrier that I went to work for was also represented by Alpa. Um, but when the chief pilot came in to address the new hire class, he said, well, we have uh, one union radical in this class. <laughs> and and, and at, at that point, I think everyone kind of turned around and looked at me. You know, there was no doubt about who he was referring to, you know. Yeah. Now, Jim Holder, you had a little different uh, – uh, you you also went with another carrier. So let me ask you, was it right after Eastern uh, shut down? Uh, had you already considered going with this carrier? Uh, Neil, no, it was not. Um, I was the council chairman in Atlanta during the latter part of the strike, and uh, we had a difference of opinion of what we wanted to do at least in the Atlanta council and 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 I resigned and another guy took my place and mm -hmm. then the strike occurred and uh almost just a few weeks after the strike occurred uh I mean the the, the shutdown and all that uh my youngest daughter uh, had surgery that failed and she was in a coma for about almost 3 years and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, her mother and I were divorced, and her mother had a job, and I didn't. So I was primarily the one taking care of the situation with my yeah. daughter. But yeah. uh, I, she eventually passed away, and I was uh, advised that ATA, American Transair, already had uh, quite a few Eastern pilots there, many of which knew my situation. And they knew that I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go for another airline. But uh, ATA bought eight 727-200s with uh, extra gas and bigger engines. And they needed 727 pilots. And this was shortly after my daughter passed away. And I heard about that. And I called up, up there to an eastern. Two or three eastern guys were already there uh, in management already to a certain extent. And I talked to them, and they said, "Get your rep, get your application up here, post haste." And I did, and I spent all day Sunday with an electric typewriter writing a resume. The first time I'd ever done it in my life. <laughs> it looked like it snowed inside my house with all of the paper wadded up on the floor. Boy, I finally got one I liked, and I mailed it the next day, like the overnight mail, and called to uh, make sure they got it and she said we did get it and uh this e other eastern guy that was there he was the 727 fleet manager charlie boswell he called me because he had told me he was going to make sure that i got an interview he said, said i can't make sure you get hired but i'll make sure you get an interview and he came back from boeing and called me late that night thursday night and said i couldn't find your application till i looked on another stack and you've already got an appointment to come up here to be interviewed i said yeah i do <laughs> so i went up there and uh, they hired me and i was in the class of 26 and i was the oldest one so 
At ATA, 26 numbers meant like about 400, 500 numbers anywhere else. And uh, so I, they had me. Uh, I remember the chief pilot came out and was talking to us for the new hire class, which was, oh, I think about 15 pilots and about 10, 11 flight engineers, mostly from the Air Force. And uh, he said it went around and everybody had too much time you have doing all this, doing all this. And most of the management were ex-Brandup and Continental. And they were very sympathetic with Eastern, of course. And uh, they asked me, Jim Holder, how much time do you have in, uh, in the 727? Because we were starting out on the 727. And I said, well, I've got about 12,500 hours. <laughs> Somebody guessed, you know, like and uh, that's why they hired me, of course. And they put me flying with these uh, young guys that many had never flown captain, and most of them didn't have much jet time. And here they were going to be flying captain out of uh, Midway and with its famous short runways and everything. And when I took my went up there for my check ride, uh, I had Tom Hop, Eastern captain, get, uh, yeah. was already at ATA, and he was giving me the check ride. And Hap Slayton, who's a high, <laughs> highly regarded senior yes, captain in Miami, was there. He was a 10-11 instructor at yeah. ATA, and he was running the panel. So I felt right uh, at home, and I hadn't flown anything in like four, three and a half or four years. And uh, it was Eastern's very first simulator, Tom told me. It was Eastern's very first 727 simulator. No motion, no nothing, you know, just a basic <laughs> simulator. So they put me with these young guys, and uh, and I had a good time. I, they were a bunch of good guys too. And and uh, and a couple, one of the one of the captains I flew with, he was brand new. He was the son of Bill Williams, who was in my new hire class at ATA. I mean at Eastern in 1963. <laughs> my and golly. he said, "I can't believe it. He had to, you know, uh, uh, his dad had never even met his mother, and here he's in the left seat." <laughs> And I'm in the right seat. <laughs> and he said, this is something wrong with this picture here, you know. And I said, no, don't worry about it, you know. And uh, I really enjoyed flying with those young guys. I flew with a lot of young guys. And, uh, they were they were quite honestly glad to have me there flying out of Midwest. Well, George, that's pretty much uh, when you went over to the other carrier, you you must have been the oldest guy in the class, or were you about the same age as the? Uh, were there new hires in that class that you went over with? Yes, yes, there were Neil, and I was the oldest one, so I got <laughs> you know twenty twenty three numbers out of uh, three thousand. But I, I had originally applied <laughs> to Piedmont, and I'm sure Jim remembers Bob Kuntz. He was the yeah. uh, MEC chairman at Piedmont. And at one of the board of directors meetings of Alpa, he came over to me. He said, you know, George, why, why are you messing around at Eastern? He said, why don't you just come on over here to Piedmont? And uh, he said, you know, they'll, they'll hire you, and, you know, you'll be a captain in a couple of years. So I, I sent my, uh, like Jim, you know, I never had a, uh, a resume put together, but I put one together, and I mailed it to Bob. And sure enough, they contacted me um, Within a week, and I went down there for the interview, and they told me you're hired. We'll get back to you with a new class date, and uh, and then they were purchased by uh, U.S. Air, and I, I really I had never even applied to U.S. Air, and I figured, well, I'll never hear anything further. But U.S. Air called me, and uh, so I wound up like Jim, 
you know, when, when I went for the interview, they said, well, how many hours do you have on a 727? I said, well, <laughs> I figure I got about 11,000 hours on the airplane. <laughs> and uh, so what they did was, you know, at the time, that was the largest airplane that they had. They had, like Jim described, the U.S. Air had the last 10 that were built with the large engines and the big fuel tanks, and they were flying them co- coast to coast. So uh, it was either a very senior or a very junior airplane at U.S. Air, and uh, they had the way it was explained to me was that they had some captains who didn't have much experience in the 727, so they wanted you know somebody to fly with them who knew the airplane. So they made me an FO on the 727 right away, and then you know things kind of fell into seniority order after a year or two. But um, it was uh, it was it was interesting, you know. It was very different. Uh, the, the 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 mindset of the pilots, as uh, I'm sure Jim's friend Jim Gardner could tell him, was very very different at U.S. Air than what it was at Eastern. Uh, but mm-hmm, it, yeah. it, it was very pleasant for a few years until until the, you know it was almost a rerun of what happened at Eastern, almost but not quite. But the end result mm-hmm. was pretty much the same. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's talk some more about Eastern, just as soon as we hear one of my favorite crooners, and I mean he was good. Here he is. Don't let the stars get in your eyes, don't let the moon break your heart. Love blooms at night, in daylight it dies. Don't let the stars get in your eyes, or keep your heart from me, for someday I'll return and you know you're the only one I'll ever love. Too many nights, too many nights, too many stars. Change your mind. Don't let the moon change your mind. If I'm gone too long, don't forget where you belong. When the stars come out, remember you are mine. Don't let the stars get in your eyes. Don't let the moon break your heart. Love blooms at night. Daylight it dies, don't let the stars get in your eyes Oh, keep your heart from me for someday I'll return And you know you're the only one I'll ever Perry Como? Perry Como. Perry Como. Oh, yes, yeah, it was. yeah, that's right. I could have, yeah. yeah. Well, today's songs are all crooners. I call them crooners. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. particular song is not what you would expect to be crooning, I guess. I don't know what the hell crooning mm-hmm. means. But, <laughs> but I think it's a soft type of touch. But let's talk some more about Eastern. 
and uh, what we did. Um, I heard your stories, and I've got a story, too, because I resigned a month before Eastern went out on strike in 1989. And uh, like you said, George, I saw writing on the wall, as I'm sure just about everybody around that time before the uh, March uh, 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 March Madness. <laughs> it wasn't madness. Mm-hmm. It was uh, mm-hmm. Mar- March uh, Good Thinking. But I told my wife, I said, you know, we ought, we ought to get out now. And, and we did. I turned in my resignation and went through the procedures, and they, they, I knew the drill, called Miami and requested to be uh, retiring. And uh, so they honored it. And um, at any rate, what happened next was that, uh, if you remember, Peter, Peter Uberoff came along, and mm-hmm. it looked like it was really going to be, you know, run by some solid, solid leadership. And uh, so I quickly – called in uh, Miami and I said disregard my notice of uh, retirement I want to I want to stay with the company and they said well if you want to stay with the company you got to come back to work and I said what do you mean they said you, you you've got to cross the line you got to come back with us I forgot who I talked with down there and mm-hmm. I said well thanks but no thanks I, I'll walk the streets so I did in mm-hmm. Pensacola I had my sign on on my front uh, and um, walked with the guys all living in the Pensacola area. And, um, and it was, it was interesting, but shortly after that, uh, I got the labor protection uh, act that gave uh, the Eastern pilots the first rights to return with continental airline on the uh, when on the new hires because uh, they had taken our airplane 757s. You remember that, George and Jim, and uh, I opted for that option. That uh, I wanted uh, half of what they were offering, plus be able to go back to work with the Continental uh, and going to their ground school on the DC-10. And uh, so I did, and they called me and said, do you want to come back to work? And I was 62, I think, at the time. And I said, well, I can't fly. I'm, you know, so I'm over over 60, and at that time, mm-hmm. 60 was a mandatory age. And they said, no, no, we've got a spot for you in a flight engineer class on the DC-10, along with a other bunch of Eastern people that we we're honoring. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah. So I went to Houston and went through the DC-10 ground school and and um, getting ready to to take my check ride. I went through the simulator, getting ready to take my check ride, and, and then the notices came out as to where we, the, this class was going to be based, and they were going to base me in Guam. And I, mm. I said, uh, no, I don't think I want to work for Continental. <laughs> So being mm-hmm. retired the way I was, I could say, you know, take this job and shove it, and uh, mm-hmm. pretty much what I did, and I didn't do that. But after that, I had several good offers, and unfortunately, some I uh, I quit, and others uh, just didn't materialize. But one of the dream jobs that was offered to me, and it was strictly through my uh, friendship with uh, Captain Mack, out in um, California, Los Angeles, he was a retired Pan Am captain, and he put a, a little uh, headhunting service together with a newsletter, which I subscribed to. And he would call me from time to time. We became real good friends. Uh, 
And he said, Neil, I've, I got something here. You might be interested in Hawaii. And so I did. I went out to Hawaii, and I was a chief pilot and a director of flight operations, actually vice president. And uh, so I had some titles, not chief pilot, but uh, director of flight operations. And uh, and so at any rate, I shut that airline down myself because it was just uh, an accident waiting to happen. And uh, they just uh, they didn't know what they were doing. And I just didn't want any blemishes on my uh, record of uh, no violations, no speeding tickets and, uh, you know, not bumping into anybody on the ramp and that type of thing. So I did. I went upstairs and told the FAA I was leaving. They said, well, you know, when you leave, we shut the airline down. And they did. They shut it down. Mm. And then after that, my dream job that didn't come true, and I was going to get involved uh, with uh, Virgil Tedder, but uh, I was called by Captain Mack again, and they said, uh, he said, Neil, he said, I talked to, uh, to um, golly, what's the name of the com- company? In Tulsa, Oklahoma, Parker Drilling Company, oil drilling company. It was the biggest in the world. Parker Drilling, oil drilling company out of Tulsa was the biggest uh, land operation. They didn't do any sea drilling, but they just did uh, land oil exploration and drilling. And um, they needed a chief pilot for a new airplane uh, that they were going to put online. They were using 727s throughout Europe. And uh, they they were going to uh, they thought they would come up with a 757, and they wanted to to hire a chief pilot for the 757. Well, Captain Matt called me right away, and he said, Neil, he said I think you might be interested in this job. So anyhow, make a long story short, I went out to Tulsa, interviewed with the uh, director of flight operations for Parker Drilling Company, and I tell you what. That hangar was just like uh, inside of a of a COVID. Well, it was it was uh, sanitized. You could eat off mm-hmm. the floor or any airplane's mm-hmm. wing in that hangar. They he had Learjets, he had helicopters and all. The old man was still alive. Parker's still alive. He's dead now. But at any rate, interviewed and they said, okay, uh, here's what we need. We need you to go out to Seattle and, uh, and purchase two seven five sevens and configure them for what we want to do. And what they wanted to do mm-hmm. is they wanted to fly over to, uh, to, uh, 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 Cali, it's Russia, Kazakhstan, the airport there at the Caspian sea, just North of the Caspian sea where they do their space shots. And, uh, mm-hmm. they were going to pick up, uh, drillers that were drilling out there from all mobile oil company. And they were going to bring them back to, uh, to America uh, and and quit uh, you know sending them on American and whoever were the main carriers back and forth and that way they thought they could save some money by having those two seven five sevens and of course I quickly agreed with them that that's what they needed it was a wonderful airplane may have to make a fuel stop and that's where Virgil Tedder came in and I called Virgil who was with Delta at the time doing uh, simulator instructing I think with the seven five and I said uh, Virgil I need some numbers. Uh, and I told him what the plan was, and he put together some, uh, the uh, you know trip where it had to stop and gas up and all that stuff, and about what it would cost to operate the airplane. And and I went back to Tulsa, and uh, they bought it. They said, okay, we're going to do it. And they found two 757s that had not been configured. That a couple of the airlines had had uh, a one airline. I forgot which one it was. Had turned them down. 
and uh, it didn't take their option to pick them up. And so I was going to go out to Seattle and uh, configure so that we would have sleeping quarters for the entire crew because uh, that airport there at the Caspian Sea in Kazakhstan didn't have any facilities, no Motel 6 mm-hmm. or days in. And uh, so everybody had to sleep in, in even the flight attendants uh, had to sleep on board. So we were going to configure it that way. And boy, I tell you what, you're talking about being excited. I was one excited puppy. I mean, I was in Pensacola and I was, uh, I was mm-hmm. in dreamland. And uh, uh, unfortunately I get a call from uh, his name was Jim. I can't think of his last name, the director of flight operations for Parker. And he said, Neil, he says, uh, I don't think it's going to work out. And I thought, you know, what, me or what? And they told me that um, the Russians had put a stop to uh, Parker drilling um, Mm -hmm. in the uh, oil fields there in the Kazakhstan area. And uh, the reason for it is because they were going to pipe it out and the Russians wanted to put a, a, a flow meter on it and have a charge of every liquid uh, gallon going through those uh, pipes, I guess. And Mobile Oil said, uh, no, we're not going to do it. So we lost the uh, right to do that, and they just decided to cancel the program. But you're talking about a dream job. That would have been a dream job. And, you know, I could have flown uh, over 60 because it was a Part 91 operation. It was a company-owned airplane or airplanes. So anyhow, that's my story, and a couple of other jobs uh, came through after that. We'll talk about it later, but uh, but anyhow, that's that's what happened to me. And uh, uh, anything else you guys want to add about your time with with the airline? Did you stay with uh, the airline you went with, and what happened to you? I think Jim Holder, you retired from ATA, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, I was the first. I retired at age 60. And, uh, of course, I flew captain, you know, most of the time I was there because they expanded. Uh, I think when when I got hired, I think I was like 327 or something like that. And, boy, you turned around, they had over 1,000 pilots. So wow. uh, yeah. we got the left seat real quick. And, uh but uh, I had fun flying with those other guys, though, the young guys. And, you know, the chief pilot would call me, how did such and such do and all that. And thank goodness I was able to, in every case, tell them the guy really did a good job. But they yeah. were nervous as all get out. Some of them hadn't even flown the 727. They hadn't flown captain. And now they're flying out of midway in the winter. And they were a nervous <laughs> bunch of guys. And so it wasn't just me. There was an Air Force guy in my class. Uh, he flew DC-9s. And had a lot of experience, so he was based in India, I think. But Mike Pond uh, was also in my class, Eastern Captain, uh, Chicago, and of course he was able to do the same thing I did, and we did the same thing. But it was so, it was a lot of fun flying with those young guys, and they were very appreciative of uh, having me over there. Yeah. I remember this one guy; he came from TWA. And uh, and he, I can't remember his Eastern went. To, I mean, TWA came with ATA. And our, well, anyhow, he was at AT, ATA when he flew with me, and he had been at TWA. And it was a little bit more complicated there, but I've forgotten what it was. And he told me he was a <clears throat> nervous wreck because somebody told him that there was this grouchy old some bitch, Jim Holder, 
and he was going to be flying. He had just finished his IOE because I couldn't do IOE, you know, I wasn't a Czech airman. And uh, and he uh, he got on the airplane, and I remember at Midway, I could see him walking up the stairs outside on a jetaway, looking looking into the cockpit, and he could see me, and, and he looked had this terrified look on his face because they had told him that I was just a tough old mean bastard, you know, and grouchy because I was flying in the right seat and, you know, been a captain. But he, oh, man, and he believed all that stuff. And he came in, and, I mean, he was nervous as all get out. And, uh, I said, hey, you know, glad to meet you and all that nice. And I said, I got the navigation all set up. We was going down to Port Lauderdale or someplace like that. And, and I said, we're ready to go, you know. It's going to be a good day, good trip. And, and he started warming up to me, and we taxing out, and he started warming up even more. And we were climbing out, going through about 20,000. He said, I think somebody told me some lies about you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He told me that you didn't mean some bitch, you know, you don't want to be with him. And he said, I don't see that. And I said, oh, good grief. Of course not. I'm not. And he told me that uh, at the end of the trip, he wanted to fly with me some more. Because he felt so good flying with me, and you know, because he was still, you know, he hadn't flown the seven twenty-seven or you know, anything like that, you know. And it was fun. That, that was the kind of stuff that I did, and, and, yeah. and it was enjoyable. But I got in the left seat, and then of course I was able to finish my three years in the left seat. And it, actually, I was about number, I was about number four in Chicago, and one and two and three. Uh, lived in Chicago, so we got TDY all the time. So I would bid out and you know go to. I spent a lot of time in Dallas all month and Reno uh, trips and that kind of stuff. And it was just fun. Even got to be based in Germany a couple of times. TDY. Wow! Yeah. So it was fun. Well, I got to do things I never did. Let me play another record here and see if you can identify this. Uh, young man at the time because this was back in the 50s and then i want to talk to brenda i think brenda's with us brenda are you there well it's not brenda it must be renee renee are you with us i'm with you today okay i got a question to ask you after this singer does a song and see if you remember who the singer is okay make the If you do, then forgive me and make the world go away. Make the world go away and get off my shoulders. I'm sorry if I hurt you 
day by day. Just say you love me like you used to, and make the world go away. coming in scratchy to you or is it just on my receiver here? Uh, no, Brian, it's coming in. Sound okay. good here. Well, if it's coming in up there in the Toronto area, I think uh, I guess we uh, it's coming across good then because mine yeah. is uh, scratchy. Uh, Renee, uh, I forgot uh, how to pronounce your last name. It's re- uh, Help me McKinnon? out. McKinnon? Renee McKinnon. Yeah. And Renee, you were in Toronto when Eastern folded. And what did you do as far as jobs? Where did you go to work after Eastern? Or did you? Uh, well, I was uh, all over the place. I came back to uh, Toronto and uh, I was laid off. But when I was with Eastern in sales, I specialized in the uh, uh, Latin countries. So I was going around um, uh, all over Canada. They did the Los Americas program. The first time they did it, they put it out to anybody who could go. So I went across Canada, and I got 54 travel agents to come down to Las Americas. So that was a huge uh, uh, boost for me. And because of that, they invited me down to the show. I got to go on the trip, uh, some of the fam trips into Bolivia and La Paz and uh, the different countries. So uh, I just... I was already working in the, in the Latin market, so it was just easy to do, just get into travel and keep on going. Did you have to speak Spanish? Or was no. That a re- <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't a requirement. Okay. No. Very good. Yeah. But that was well, strange. yeah, it was a great airline. And, uh, you know, the second topic that I had that I wanted to talk about is uh, – what kind of act did Eastern show you uh, or your family while you were employed with Eastern? And I just wanted to real quickly say that I had four months with Eastern Airlines when tragedy struck my family. And it was on flight Eastern Flight 687 that departed. And I remember I looked in my logbook June 27th, 1963, and with me as the first officer and uh, on the Convair 440, the captain was Ernie Gossie. Jim, you might remember Ernie. Um, he was uh, the captain on the Convair. And we were leaving Washington, D.C., where I was based in my first year with the company. And I was living in an apartment in Annandale, Virginia, with my wife, Peggy, and our two children. 
Scott, who was three and a half years old, and Shay, who was three and a half months old. And now that old Flight 687 out of Washington to Miami went something like this. It uh, had stops in Raleigh, Florence, Columbia, St. Simons Island, Jacksonville, Gainesville, Ocala, Orlando, Vero Beach, and then Miami with a beautiful 30-plus hour layover in Miami mm-hmm. where I still had my family. And uh, and then returning back to Washington much the same way as we came. And coming into Jacksonville on 687 in range for the numbers, as we called it, um, which was mainly the fuel, the altimeter setting, and any special request were called in to operations so they could get ready for fueling. Um, and um, I was asked by the guy that I was talking to on the microphone if if First Officer Neil Holland was on board. And I, I said, yeah, immediately I was working. I was the one that was on the microphone. And he said, well, would you come into operations as soon as you, you land and come on into it's a, it's a personal thing. And upon landing and taxing to, to the gate, I, I left the plane and went into operations. And the station manager told me that my wife, Peggy, had, uh, had a cerebral hemorrhage in Annandale that morning and was in the Fairfax Hospital in Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia. And mm-hmm. Eastern had arranged to put me on a Washington flight on the DC-7 that was parked there at ramp. It just so happened, and its next stop from Jacksonville was Washington. So they put me right on the airplane, and uh, they had flown in a replacement first officer from Atlanta to Jacks to cover the rest of uh, old Flight 687 down south to Miami. And upon arriving in Washington, I drove my car directly to the hospital at Fairfax hospital where Peggy was in the ICCU unit and she was in a coma. And uh, I'll never forget her, Dr. Gold, G-O-U-L-D, Gould or Gold, forgot now, but at any rate, uh, he told me that she did not require an operation and that a blood vessel in her brain had burst causing the the, uh, hemorrhage and thus the temporary coma. And he said that Mm -hmm. she would be, she would be out of it. But it took her two weeks before she regained consciousness, and he, she was only 27 years old then, and she would have mm. to be very careful for the next five years. He told me that her chances not having another another stroke after that were, were in her favor, but uh, she did remain in a coma for two weeks. But here's the thing. I had no health coverage. As you remember, we were on probation when we first mm-hmm. came with Eastern for the first, I think it was first 15 months back in 63 when I was hired. It might've been the same for you, Jim, but at mm-hmm. any rate, I didn't have any coverage. I didn't have any time off, no vacation, whatever. Eastern gave it all to me. They mm-hmm. covered her hospital stay, uh, her operation. I mean, not her operation, but, uh, you know, the doctor, the neurosurgeon, neuro doctor mm-hmm. and, uh, everything and, and uh, allowed me to have as much time as I could to get someone in to help with my wife and also my two young, young children, in which her mother, I think a month later, flew down uh, from, uh, flew up to uh, uh, Washington from uh, Burnsville, North Carolina, where they were living and uh, her family's from. And, and uh, But Eastern did that for me. 
uh, in a probationary position with the company. So, I, I, and they did more than that. There, there's some other instances that they went out of their way to help employees with that great company. And I don't know if you guys it got was. any similar it any was. similar stories. Yeah, I, I have one. Go ahead, George. Well, you know, I went to, I was invited to uh, uh, go to Miami for uh, Whitey John. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was a uh, a member of management, a pilot. Uh, he was an old friend of the family. And um, I was invited was to go again? to his, uh, Whitey John, J-A-H-N. Oh, yeah. You Whitey, know him, Jim. Yeah, yeah. You know him. Yeah, yeah he used to come to that know meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah, so I was invited to go to his retirement party in Miami, and um, it, it was uh, there was a union meeting that morning. So I got up real early and uh, went to the union meeting. I wasn't a representative then. And um, then I got on the airplane. I figured, well, you know, I got the jump seat, so the guy will tell me to go sit in the back. But it turned out to be a New York crew. And uh, we wound up talking the whole time down there. So anyway, went stayed at the Marriott Hotel in Miami and went to the party. And uh, after the party, went to a couple of, uh, you know, uh, gin mills after that. And then I decided I had a couple of friends of mine from Germany who were living up in uh, uh, Lantana, which is just south of Palm Beach. So I said, oh, you know what? It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'll drive up there and see them. Well, I got like up to Fort Lauderdale, and I was really beat. And I said, I got to have to get off 95 and turn around and go back to the hotel. So anyway, I get off 95, and either uh, I think I fell asleep at the wheel and crashed into a bridge abutment at about 60 miles an hour. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, long story short, uh, I, I, I was declared dead twice, and, and they revived me. So um, I woke up the following evening in the hospital, and who who's sitting on the end of my bed? I'm on a, a life support system, but Tom Butchin. And mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of funny. And uh, I got I got hold of a, a a pencil and a pad, and I said, you know, Tom, when I woke up and you were here, I thought I died and went to hell or something like that. <laughs> I, I wrote, and uh, well, he, he got a, he got a good laugh out of that, but. Uh, you know, my <laughs> wife was there, and I found out that um, Eastern called her at home and told her what had happened, and uh, they put her, gave her first-class seat along with my uh, father-in-law and my brother-in-law on the next nonstop flight to Miami, and then gave them a limo from Miami up to the uh, hospital, which uh, I thought was really, really nice of them to do, and uh you know, it was uh, they didn't have to do that, but they did. And yeah, I mean, you know, and even I thought I thought maybe Tom was there to pull the tubes out of me, but he didn't do that. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I, as it turned out, I, I I didn't need the tubes, and I knew that uh, because of what mm-hmm. I was told when I was dead. But uh, anyway, that, that that was really I thought it was very nice of them to do it. You know. Jim, something like that happened to you? No, no, no. I guess uh, I guess I was pretty lucky in that regard. Um, 
You know, when John, my partner uh, back in the 60s, John Corni, uh, he and I, he was hired a week before I was, and, and we met, it, met each other uh, there in Atlanta after they closed his base, which was New Orleans, and they closed Charlotte down, and I was based in Washington, and I was able to bid Atlanta. And he was able to bid Atlanta, and we met each other in the Campbellton Road apartment complex. And John and I became immediate friends and a wonderful guy. We started a flight school out at Charlie Brown Airport, and and, um, and we had a, a steerman, a uh, 1935 Mike, that Wayne Johnson and Bob Bytel had restored. And a uh, beautiful airplane, and they had sold it to... Uh, the leading advertising agency in Atlanta, uh, Tucker Wayne, and uh, the guy Wayne, uh, I think it was Wayne, Wayne Tucker. Uh, but at any rate, one of the partners bought the airplane and was selling it, and we bought it. And we had it for about two years, I guess, before John uh, crashed uh, up in the fields up in Cumming, Georgia, on uh, July 4th, uh, 1971, and um, was killed. And uh, I helped pull his body out. I was monitoring the show along with uh, my real good friend, uh, the head of the FAA there in Atlanta, and uh, Baker, uh, Jim Baker, I think his uh, name was. But he was the Southern Regional Director of the FAA. I got to know him because of of our school, and um, we had a school there. So we became friends, and he was with me uh, when we were monitoring the air show. But at any rate, Eastern, after John died, had me to be the Eastern representative for his family and to John. And Perry Hudson was the chief pilot at the time, and he said, Neil, he said, you be with the family as long as you want to be with them. And uh, wherever he's going to be buried, we want you to uh, be in uniform and, and attend the funeral. Of course, you know, that was going to happen anyhow. Because we were we, we owned the school together and we'd been together for eight years at that time, and um, so that's what happened. Uh, he uh, he was buried up in Cleveland, and I uh, I flew with the casket, and uh, when they took it from the fuselage and put it in the ambulance, I was there to in the ambulance to take it to the bur- uh, the funeral home in Cleveland. Stayed with the family for about uh, a week, I think, as best I can recall. And Eastern said nothing, you just stay. And they honored my trip, flights missed. And uh, it was a mm-hmm. hell of a company. It was a hell of a company. It really was. It was. It was. Maybe, maybe some oh, yeah. of the other companies, U.S. Air and Pan Am and Delta all did the same. I don't know. But I just know that Eastern Airlines took care of its people. It really did. You're right. Now, time for another musician to play and see if you can identify this gentleman.
again and and as you know in the last two weeks famed English singer Engelbert Humperdinck lost his wife um, and uh, she was 84 year old and um, Humperdinck announced on social media that he and his wife had become infected with COVID-19 earlier this year and uh, it was reported uh, February 5th that Patricia his wife uh, Patricia had been hit pretty hard by the illness. Patricia, who had been suffering from Alzheimer's disease prior to that for almost a decade, reportedly stopped eating and drinking after contracting the cor- coronavirus. And in a bid for spiritual support, Engelbert asked for prayers. And he said, I'm sure God will send the right message and the right angels and the right people over to put their hands on her. Please help me with with that prayer. That's the most important thing Hopperdink wrote. And two days later, uh, it was reported through the pain of loss. Hopperdink's words reflected the singer's Catholic faith. He expressed his heartfelt gratitude to well-wishers who supported Patricia with prayers in her final hours. And Engelbert went on to write a touching tribute to his wife, who had received the last rites from their nephew, who was a Catholic Mm -hmm. priest, Father Paul. And this is, I want to play this song. This is a song that he wrote after his wife passed away just recently. And uh, it's a beautiful song, beautiful tribute to his wife of 50 plus years. wanted you for life you and me in the wind 
thought there'd come a time that our story would end. It's hard to understand, but I guess I'll have to try. It's not easy to say goodbye. All the joy we share All that time We had to spend If I had one wish I'd want forever Back again To look into your eyes Hold you when you cry It's not easy To say Goodbye I remember All those great times we had So many memories Some good, some bad Yes, and through it all Those memories will last forever. There's peace in where you are. Maybe all I need to know. And if I listen to my heart, I'll hear your laughter. Once more And so I have to say I'm just glad you came my way It's not easy To say Goodbye Jim, he's our age, 84 years old, and it doesn't sound quite yeah. like the Engelbert uh, of uh, of his youth, but uh, a great song, great tribute. Sure was. Good. You know, when I hear songs like that, I, I, I can put Eastern Eastern's name right in there and just think about the times and the memories that we had over the years, the many years, and... Uh, that's what keeps this radio show going, and um, mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to share memories that we have done today, and hope to do it next week, next Monday. And um, yeah, you, you you talk about memories. I've got memories too, and uh, bad uh, some potentially bad news. Uh, Don Teal, I think he hired on right along about oh, the same no. time you did. Yeah. yeah, he was. They put him in hospice day before yesterday, and he's one of my very best friends. And, great guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. And, uh, but he's uh, he went to live with his 
daughter's out in Dallas with his wife also and about a year and a half ago and he, we had a farewell party for him here at our home and it's hey, it's tough I'll tell you I had a lot of contact with him playing golf the hunt club fishing in the mountains trout fishing you know just name everything one of my very best friends I think Don was in my late partner's class uh, John Corni and uh, like yeah. I say he was a week ahead of me and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there were some some great guys and Ernie Betts. Uh, you know Ernie real well, and you know what happened to his mm-hmm. wife. Uh, she yeah. became mm-hmm. uh, you know, paralyzed from the waist down with a with a stroke about the same time mm-hmm. Peggy, my wife, had her stroke. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. and Eastern treated her extremely well, and and Ernie, uh, really good people, fine people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's. Let's hope for better news, and uh, mm-hmm. thanks, thank you guys for sharing your stories, and I hope you'll come back next Monday and share some more stories. These are the kind of stories that I like, uh, and I mm-hmm. like to throw in a few songs, but this last, last song is, I know all of all of us pilots, uh, we feel like that we, we did our life at, at our age now, the way we wanted to do it, looking back over the years, I'm sure there's some things that uh, George, J- uh, Jim, and Renee, we'd all like to change in our lives. But uh, here we are at our age, and and I want to dedicate uh, this song to all the folks that uh, have reached our age and older. So we're going to go out with this song. And I hope you can tune us in again next Monday at 1 o'clock. But I think you'll like this uh, selection. For all the senior guys, this is uh, a song for you. And uh, now the end (laughs) is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way. Amen. Regrets, I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. Saw it through. Without exemption I planned Each charted course Each careful step Along the byway And more Much more than this I did it My way Yes, there were I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew 
see you next week if you can make it and share some more of these great eastern stories that's what it's all about see you then all right neil thank you okay thank you Thanks. goodbye everybody. bye-bye enjoyed it bye Enjoyed. bye-bye it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.